I'm the guy that's witnessed this. I'm the guy that's been there. And for me, it's felt so real. I've lived with all these tribes everywhere. When I met the Panan, there was something completely different about them. That that was something that struck me in my heart in a way that I know that I'm carrying that with such strength because I've met them. And the reason that other people that I'm talking to aren't necessarily picking up on that is because they haven't experienced it or they can't conceive of it in their own well. So it just became clear to me as well. It's like, well, okay, Bruce, if you want to carry this message, you've got to fucking live it. <laughs> That's it. Stop talking about it and fucking live it. Bruce Parry is an explorer and a documentary maker, well known to the UK for his excellent BBC documentary series made whilst living amongst many indigenous communities around the world. His latest major film is Tawai, A Voice from the Forest, which he made independently. It's a fascinating film that listens deeply to some of the last remaining indigenous egalitarian communities on earth, so that our industrial culture might learn other ways of being that still persist to this day, in which it's possible to live fully in harmony with each other and with the whole of life. Ways which used to be much more common and could one day become so again. Bruce has spent many years travelling around the planet, but a few years ago he decided to settle back into the UK and to a small Welsh homestead in need of regeneration. He hopes to share this project with others looking to learn from wiser cultures and yearning for a life fully reintegrated with nature. He hopes the seeds of heart wisdom he brought back from tribes such as the Penan and the Benjele can germinate and thrive in Western industrial culture at a time when it's so needed. My first question to him was to ask if it was fair to describe him as a seeker and what the motivation was behind his seeking for wisdom and perhaps a way back from the destructive industrial culture we find ourselves living in today. Well, I'm definitely a seeker, um, but that just comes with being curious. And when you've travelled like I have, how could you not be? And it also comes from having had experiences that don't seem to fit into the narrative boxes that we have back home, um, including very wonderful narrative boxes like science. Um, sometimes some of the experiences have been something that haven't been very well explained through those um, terms, let's say. And so I've, uh, I've sought other, other viewpoints and other um, takes on that and I found some of them to be very compelling actually in different worldviews that that really not only answer to my own experiences but also answer to a way of being in in the world that has a a, a possibility for much long longer lifespan longevity you know i.e a connection to nature in particular um and also a some of the healing practices as well that I've come across that don't seem to be 
understood so much here. They, 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 there's some healing practices that I've come across that really have benefited me hugely and I feel could be a benefit to others too. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that, that's another area that I guess you could say I've been a seeker in, things that don't quite fit our narrative. Um, and then you said, like, you know, in, in a journey back to, and that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, like, lots of people do, and they watch the films I make and they listen to me speak, and it's a, it's a natural thing for people to think that I wish to turn back the clock in some way and some, for some golden past. And, and I think that there's a bit of me that that's, that that's true, you know? I, I think that I, ha yeah, I spend a lot of time... Um, having to sort of like tiptoe around this subject because I, I was fully aware that to overly romanticize indigenous peoples and other ways of being was to not fully understand it in its fullness. Um, and that actually most groups have their ups and downs just like we do. And, and there's plenty of reasons to not romanticize. And that was that, and I think that's valid, but actually I've become much more confident of late to say, no, actually there's many, many aspects of some of the societies that I've lived with, given even taking on board all of the complications that they may have um, and the benefits that our way of life have brought about. But actually, in many ways, they really are living in an extraordinary way, in a positive way and have many more um sort of nourishing aspects to their life as far as human well-being is concerned than we do i think and many less of some of the, the the mental troubles that we have and even the physical and physiological troubles that we have and, you know weighed up with the fact that they also don't have necessarily our communications or or medicines and stuff but even so i think some of their lives are amazing so there is a big part of me that has has um considered this like turning back the clock but the way i guess i look at it now is just emerging you know, a, a, a merging of the old and the new in 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 a sense perhaps where there could be something even more beautiful as a result of having gone on the journey of separation that we've gone on so that, that to reconnect to those things that are of more value, that, that bring us greater health and well-being, having gone into a, this place where we're at, separation and loneliness and addiction and mental health issues and trashing the environment and having no meaning in life and not connecting to anything greater than one's own well, one's own happiness and comforts, clearly these other things, if they could come back in, could be incredibly nourishing for us and and uh, create an even more beautiful world than perhaps that which we had before especially as we've learned so much you know i think that is one of the things that we we have learned a lot and we have seen ourselves now as a as a world as a as a globe as, and that's that's great and i don't think the indigenous peoples did have that in the same way there is lots that we've learned so there's no reason to turn our backs on that so your motivation for Tawai? Are you trying to bring about change, or are you trying to raise awareness, or what was your what was the plan? You know, the motivation behind this. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things going on in Tawai. Um, the, the biggest one of all, I guess, was I was inviting people to 
stop and reflect on themselves. You know, ever since going down the Amazon, making the film about um, globalization and consumption, really, I realized that our way of life was part of the problem, especially our very consumptive and um, uh, relatively ignorant, thoughtless way of, of consuming was, was causing problems around the world. And so I wanted that to be a big part of it, but I realized that actually turning the mirror on an audience is very hard and to not make yourself seem separate and go, look, you're the problem. <laughs> so I needed to include myself in it. Um, but I ultimately wanted to invite people to look at themselves in relation to that, which is around them and especially in relation to nature. And also, as you see, there's elements in it of um, wanting them to, uh, wanting us all to understand that perhaps there are other ways of being that, that, that are really positive and uh, are egalitarian past being one of those it's like extraordinarily positive and and we can find that again that is humanly possible but we have to go on that journey of self-reflection so the invitation was to to be with oneself and look at oneself and, and go on that inner journey in the knowledge that the that there's a benefit that comes from that because i just felt that that was the first step because it's all very well saying these things but so much of our behavior and problems in the world are as a result of like uh, of of like unconscious actions that are that are being masked because we we can't bear to be with our pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just been thinking a lot about recovery from addiction with regard to recovery from industrial civilization. You know, as an analogy, and the kind of the first step of the, in most of these recovery programs is admitting there's a problem and then admitting that you're not capable of solving it without help. You know, without community or without a higher power. Or and I think. In a way, if that's the first step is of Tawai's admitting yourself that you have a problem as as much as you know as as a metaphor for wider Western society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I showed the film to some activists, and they were up in arms a little bit about it all being about reflecting on self and why aren't we out there having a problem with you know, and and actually, I was like, well, because I feel that I was I had this amazing privilege of having a very wide audience or you know when I was doing television at least I did and I knew that there were for some people these these subjects are quite well known but for others it, it, they're not and I really felt that the in my own life experience I've noticed that when I first have awareness of what's going on my 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 um, response was to get to get energized and relatively angry and um judgmental and it was only later that i realized that actually it's because i hadn't embodied those lessons myself and i was kind of shouting at myself and so there's a very different type of quality of action that comes about when you also see yourself as part of the problem and if you think it's just them that are the problem we see that in all types of activism that's going on today as well-meaning as it is, it can cause a them and us if you're not also accepting your own hypocrisy and accepting your own part in it and realizing that we have to get through this together. So I really, really wanted to, it to be a, the first step is about looking at oneself because that I felt was 
was the the most important thing that I'd learned. But you know, obviously, you then enter into this whole. You know, some people just get put off by the fact that I go to India and talk to sadhus, and uh, you know, it's not it, it. It makes it a harder pill to swallow in a way because we're very we have incredibly good defense mechanisms to turn off anyone that's trying to invite you to look at yourself because it can be incredibly painful and we also have to have compassion for because some people it is like fuck knows what the the amount of trauma that many people are carrying in our society it's like we we have to understand that it's not an easy journey but that's why i wanted to make it as gentle and subtle as possible to sort of highlight that Look, here, here's a group of people that are living almost without, the, Jerome Lewis says, the most peaceful people on the planet, like having had decades of studies telling him that. Um, and yet the, there's no coercion, there's no leaders and shape. These are people just living like that. That tells one something about what humankind can be. And yet we're living with a narrative of like, we've always been aggressive and we've always been hierarchical and we've always been like patriarchal and whatever. And here's something very different. So I wanted to shift the narrative by showing what these others could be like. And then the sort of subliminal message of that is that's possible for us all um, if we're willing to let go of these layers of conditioning in order to find that once again. You've had a lot of experience of indigenous peoples and could you perhaps summarize what being indigenous means to you you know what is it about those people that is different to our culture <laughs> yeah well that's a really really difficult one um well obviously just even the term indigenous is it has relationship to land within it um and so it is about identifying oneself with a place uh and having a lineage of it um and and most indigenous people that i've come across that you could say that's the case they are they are of a place and they understand it and what have you but at the same time, most indigenous peoples that I've lived with, um, the majority of them, they are, they're not living in a timeless way. Like if you look at the 15 episodes of Tribe that I did, 14 of them were all groups of people who were domesticating. And so that's not timeless. That's like, quite recent only the Panan and maybe the Benjeli and a couple of others are like having had an existence on a piece of land for like 180,000 years in a in a relatively stable way all of the others have entered into to agriculture and to, to greater or lesser degrees of success I think that the things that I've picked up on that are the most important things are is to see ourselves as part of the landscape and not superior to it. Is to is to have a humble acceptance of our part within nature, and many groups, indigenous groups, have that traditionally, but not all of them have it still. So an animistic viewpoint is one that would naturally have that, and more the monotheistic 
um, perspectives that have come about more recently have that less and it's more human centered. And I think that's one of the steps that's taking us um, to the complications that we have today is not seeing ourselves as part of the landscape. It's like a suddenly, and you see this also from the film, you know, this whole idea of perspective, the hemispheres, how it is that we're seeing the world is also relates massively to how we behave with it and how we interact with it and what have you. We clearly live in a world where we see it as a, the, you know, the environment is just a resource rather than as, as a living entity. The animistic groups I found to have a very beautiful relationship with their, with their environment. And also the ones who hadn't, who, who were living in a realm before competition also had a much greater opportunity to find um, harmony and balance within their society and within their relationship with others, with, sorry, with nature. And that's why in the end, I ended up taking the film down towards the groups like the Penan because they hadn't stepped on that conveyor belt of separation from nature and into realms of hierarchy and competition. We have to reconnect with the, those ideas for us to, to stand any real chance. Otherwise, we will always end up back in some realm of warfare or competition for resources and all the rest of it that that we see and have done for a long period of time now. There's so many, so many different ways of being indigenous, but the way that I want to connect to this place is to respect it, to see myself as part of it, and to um, live in a way whereby as a, as a group of humans in this space, we are um, we are thinking constantly about the well-being of the environment because the well-being of the wider and natural environment is the well-being of us. How do we relearn or unlearn or whatever the, you know, the term is that respect for nature and that lack of hierarchy? You know, we've, we've been essentially brainwashed for generations now into whether it's sky god, monotheism and you know, that we have dominion over nature and therefore, you know, we're directly in contact with a power that isn't earthbound as opposed to kind of the animist, very earthbound perspective. What is the route, the kind of practical steps one can take to, to getting to that state? We also are trying to act with respect to this land and kind of ask a question of what, what does the land want as much as what do we want? you know, here, you know, what's that relationship? And, but it's not easy, is it, to, you know, when, when we're living, A, in a, in a money economy that's, you know, raping the, yeah. the world as we speak and, and, and to kind of undo our conditioning. And, and, and I think it was quite interesting from your film that your, your seeking was to do with our consciousness and our, mind there you have it there you have it it's like it was basically it was trying to to move away from just this mind trying to give credibility to the fact that there are other neural functions and other sort of like centers of neural uh, intelligence or whatever in our bodies that that are valid and other cultures that know and understand that and we seem to have got stuck in the head and i think the other thing, if you 
in in my conclusion, I I invite us to feel as well. And that's the other thing is that when you're very stuck in the head, it's all very conceptual and it's quite easy to make much more cold clinical decisions. But when you have an empathic experience, which comes about through things like ayahuasca or meditation or even hunting, perhaps on a daily basis, if you're being present, it's like we that shift back to the right hemisphere is where empathy is more housed um, and and empathy is the 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 first step it's the building block towards compassion towards connection towards all these things and and um and so empathy was a huge part of what we were trying to point the finger out there it's like when you're feeling empathic then your your pain is my pain and if your empathy extends out into nature too then obviously you you think differently about taking a tree down if you do a mushroom trip you don't want to chop a tree down it just doesn't they just don't go together in those in those headspaces so so empathy was a big part of it and that was like a questioning um an invitation i think i say something in the conclusion like you know um we need to feel more deeply once again, you know, and feeling the pain we are causing others won't be easy, but it's this very pain that can be the driving force towards change. And so it is a, it's, it's very, very, very basic first level introduction to this stuff. But I guess that's, that was what, what I had as an, I could have made a film for all my friends going into more esoteric areas, but I thought that, just to try and invite people to feel to to have the courage to look to to stop be with themselves and start that journey of going inside and feeling has to be the first step because otherwise we'll just carry on i mean unless that shifts we just carry on in the same conveyor belt so practically in order to kind of bring about this change in empathy generation and um a change of perspective what would you say was your route so is, is that a kind of uh, a practice of meditation or or perhaps some psychedelic i i i did mostly through um plant medicines and meditation but not like a days here and a day there but like a long meditation retreat they were the things that gave me the greatest healing moments of my life especially things like ayahuasca, iboga, even mushrooms and acid, to be honest, but like, but doing them in a way, not recreationally, but doing them in a way that was held, that was responsible, that was understanding of the complications of those things, because stuff comes up. Um, where I'm at now, I'm not doing a lot of that. I, I've kind those things brought about a, enough of a shift in me and not by any means does that mean I'm cured. Um, at all of so many more layers and problems but like enough of a shift in me whereby I now see my actions in relation to the environment I have shifted my my belief system if you will to include a much wider and broader set of values that 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 make it very weird when I listen to our leaders talk about competition and when I yeah, I'm like it, I cringe from it it's like I've gone through the transition now where I see that I have to relate to others in nature in a certain way and um, so I kind of adopted that um, and now it's just trying to live it out but I think that narrative as far as 
for, for me, I saw myself um, as a storyteller and as a filmmaker. Uh, and I think that that sort of that got, that book Sapiens had an impact, actually. I don't know if you read it. There was there was a fair bit that I didn't agree with. But one of the points that he made that was very good, um, that he made it very well, was how narratives are probably the most powerful forces in society. Um, and that that is how humankind has ha has been able to come together in vast numbers of strangers, uh, uh, people who don't know each other at all, and yet through common value systems or common stories, they have been able to do things. So like money is a classic example. It's like we it doesn't actually relate to anything at all other than the fact that we've all agreed to it. It's phenomenal. I mean, it used to relate to gold once, but even then gold didn't really do anything. It was just that we agreed that that was the thing that we put the value in. That was it. So, and likewise with religion, likewise with national nationhood, nationalism, they're just stories, but they are stories in which enable huge, vast quantities of people to come together and be able to act in a certain way. And the thing that I was fascinated by with this group, the Benjeli, um, where I go with Jerome and Ingrid to to um, Africa to meet with them, and this this ritual that you've seen online, which is the the one where they say no to the alpha male and they cast him out, and then they invite the men to come in and live as equals, provided that they have no competition and aggression, we can live as a society. We lasted in those societies for a very very long period of time, and how did those people? manage to stay in relative equilibrium for that whole period of time because they wouldn't have had to relearn that every every generation that like, it's just getting out of hand like they obviously were able to hold on to a narrative through that period that's how it seems to me and what when you live with those people now you realize that every single one of them holds inside of themselves an understanding that we know that society is better for all of us if no one gets above and no one gets below. We're all working individually. This isn't a centrally controlled thing. This is like everyone is working individually with that same narrative in their hearts that they see someone showing off, bring them down, see someone down, bring them up. That's it. We're all in that space together. That to me is, is the most powerful narrative I've ever heard and yet completely forgotten and and not even acknowledged as part of our ancestral past today. That's what I felt was the most important story that I'd come across. And so you asked me, you know, what are the tools? What are the methods? Well, I think that it, a big part of it, okay, so there's a big part of it, believing that beneath our layers is something positive and that we can live in harmony so that we have the courage to go on the journey. That's one narrative. It's like humankind is amazing. And we are capable of living in a really beautiful, harmonious way. And that's possible. And the second one is that we have to believe it and hold on to it and know it. And the best way to do that is by knowing that it was like that before. This isn't just a potted little hippie theory. This is how we were for a long, long period of time. Those two narratives, if they could come into the public psyche, could be incredibly powerful. But you're coming up against everyone's personal 
uh, experiences where they see everyone is being competitive and aggressive. They see their little kids. Well, Jimmy's always running around with a knife and, you know, and we forget that actually we're swimming in an environment whereby those forces are at play uh, in all sorts of ways that we don't even see in our society. And so it's very hard for people to necessarily believe that. But um, that's that's my feeling is that the, 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 the bringing back those narratives and countering the narratives to today, which is like more money will make you happy, more fame will make you happy, more goods, more, you know, they're the things that are destroying us. It's, it's countering those narratives is, is, uh, is, I guess, how I see my role also in trying to bring about these changes. You know, if you had to choose a job, that's a pretty good job to have, isn't it? I don't think there is a more important work, really, at the moment. Totally. I mean, I, I am so privileged in my life in that I have spent so many years, especially with the BBC, being sent to places I would never normally go. There are these touching commonalities in all of us. We all want the same thing at the end of the day, which is a harmonious future. And Do you think we can get there? I often kind of debate between gentle descent and crash and what has to happen to get us there. Do you, do you feel there is a route? Do you have... Faith that there is a route. I think it's touch and go. I really do, you know. And I think generally, historically speaking, groups who are doing very well, thank you very much, like the British nation, let's say, don't wake up until they're slapped. You know, they just don't. And like, they can have little tickles along the way that can make a few wake up, but the general drive forwards doesn't stop until it gets pretty fucking rocky. And like that seems to be ever since agriculture, we've gone through booms and busts. You know, we 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 massive population increases, inability to deal with our understanding of the land or or manage that many people in a hierarchical way, and so either one of those two things collapse and. And we forget that, you know, and so there's a there's there's a big part of me that wants to be involved in trying to talk at the highest level to try and bring about a gentle shift. And there's another part of me that's like also trying to build a life raft, you know, and um, and I think that that. Because I because I'm not sure in any way at all that we're going to be able to turn the boat around and. And, uh, and I think it could be uncomfortable. Well, it already is incredibly uncomfortable for many. And it's just a really sad twist of just an irony that the, the nations who are often causing the most problems are the ones who are not being affected by it so much yet. And I, don't, I haven't figured that one out in a sort of meta view of like karmic understanding. <laughs> And, you know, and all those other human forces aren't over yet either. You know, there are, as you say, sociopolitical issues like China and Russia. And, you know, the, the, that game continues too. all of which has been a competition for resources. You know, that narrative that held the, the, the Benjeli and the Penan together shifted. And, and that's another part of the narrative, how that came about and whether it's possible to bring it back with the way that we live now. I personally think it is. But yeah, we're, we're, while we're out there competing, it gets aggressive. 
and it can get ultimately aggressive when when we're greedy and wanting more and all of the things that we've become you know so yeah there's it's a it's a it's a pretty terrifying time to be around and um i i really don't know what the future holds i you know i like you no doubt i've i've gravitated towards more as you get older you gravitate towards people who think similarly to you and we can become convinced very often that um everyone's waking up <laughs> just have to look at the, just have to look at the polls to realize that that's not the case or the 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 elections you know but like you know we've got there are yeah i mean there are interesting candidates that are out there and and what have you and i do have a huge i do have a huge belief in humankind we are resourceful um and we are capable in all sorts of ways but but we but we seem to have lost the empathy it seems to be relatively self-serving these days that's the trouble the walls going up are not a good sign but in a way the walls going up i are not a good sign but i also feel like somehow it's a reflection of an end of a cycle that you tend to have you know at the ends of civilizations that you tend to have this kind of polarization and and walls go up for a while but maybe that means that well there is inevitably a change coming isn't there so whether or not we manage that healthily or 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 not is absolutely. our choice absolutely but we've given such power to central bodies now that they also with with very little sense of empathy and you can imagine that that empathy doesn't extend to you and me they are that that's a dangerous space to be in when people with such immense power are only looking after their own you know the well-being of their immediate rich friends that's scary I mean, I've got some very rich and influential friends who are also deep thinkers and wonderful people, and they liked to various degrees the film To Why. But whenever I spoke to them about things like egalitarianism or, or ownership, different values of ownership and stuff, they they were like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds great," you know. But like, it is very easy to dismiss as a concept. And I realized, okay, I'm the guy that's witnessed this. I'm the guy that's been there. And for me, it's felt so real. I've lived with all these tribes everywhere. When I met the Panan, there was something completely different about them. That that was something that struck me in my heart in a way that I know that I'm carrying that with such strength because I've met them. And the reason that other people that I'm talking to aren't necessarily picking up on that is because they haven't experienced it or they can't conceive of it in their own realm. So it just became clear to me as well. It's like, well, okay, Bruce, if you want to carry this message, you've got to fucking live it. <laughs> That's it. Stop talking about it and fucking live it. It's an embryonic project. But, um, but ultimately, I feel that it's, it's about putting a seed in the ground of that thing that I received when I was away. And those people that I met are also changing like daily now shifting because of their loss of their land and stuff so it was such a precious seed to have received and if i have the privilege and opportunity to be able to plant that here then that that's something i have to do 
for for the benefit of the world, but also because I do believe that it will bring me personal joy and happiness. And so that's kind of where I'm at. It's kind of beginning to live it rather than just wax lyrical about it. So we'll see how I get on. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll do very well. It sounds exciting. The universe is inviting community to happen, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I am in community. I, I am very connected already with my neighbours. I just have a few outbuildings and barns here that could also be brought in to be a part of that. And maybe we'll do something slightly different here, but it's quite possible that the others will just melt into that in time, you know, uh, if we go about it in a in a wholesome enough and inviting enough and open enough way, yeah. I kind of feel like when people are living in an industrial culture, particularly if you're living in an urban culture, even if you show someone like the Penan who talk about the forest literally being their mother, that's kind of where we need to get to in terms of our own understanding, you know, that we are literally mothered by Mother Nature, but it doesn't feel like that because your water comes out of a tap and you can go to the shop to buy food. So how do we create that real tangible link with nature rather than it's just this place we go visit at the weekend and we forget about it during the week? Mushrooms. Well, no, I heard Joe Rogan doing an interview recently and like someone asked him and then he just said mushrooms and then like me, he laughed and then came up with another idea. But he did say mushrooms first. So I'm going to leave that there, too. Um, but uh, I, I think that. I mean, we say in the film, we're talking about empathy and how it's how it's created. And, and Ian says that the right hemisphere is the more empathic one. And so here are these tools for reconnecting to that. And I think that that's one of the things we try and say in the film, and I stand by it. It's like in my own life, um, ayahuasca and meditation retreats. Um, and for others, it can be song, ritual, dance, whatever forms of, of, of empathy. But that's but it's not enough, actually, because you can be in, you can be like a cage fighter and be very present and beat the shit out of someone else. You can be a sniper and be very present. And so it doesn't necessarily, just because you're feeling um, in the moment, it doesn't mean that that necessarily leads to a love of that which is around you. It can do, but it doesn't always. So it has to be mixed with some narrative too. And of course, those people have a narrative whereby they feel um, that they're a part of nature. Um, and it's obviously much more logical for them, too, that if you fuck with the environment, it fucks with you. But we've offset it over the hill and it's only just coming back to us now. So so the narrative is a big one. You know, we had people who walked this earth a couple of thousand years ago or so, and they shifted narratives within society that brought about great social change and, and positivity. You know, people could leave the caste system and enter into Buddhism. People could leave being a Jew or a Gentile and and come Christian. So, you know, there are narratives that have come about in time when they've been most needed because society's needed them. And and it strikes me that these narratives of of love and connection have been very human-based of late and actually that there needs to be an upgrade in narrative for us to, to recognize that we are part of this 
living ecosystem that we that we have to look after. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that, but it, it's not a universally accepted narrative. So the narrative and the sort of feeling more deeply have to be part of the locomotion of this thing going forwards. All of it's up for up for grabs at the moment, as far as I can work out. And I'm up for being a part of that story because it's not, it's just not working. And there are other ways, and I've seen them, other ways of of being and other ways of, of uh, governing or not governing that work. And it's time to explore them. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Bruce is such a generous spirit and his message is so crucial in the times we're living in. I really strongly recommend you watch Tawai, A Voice from the Forest, which you can stream via the website www.tawai.earth. Tawai is spelt T-A-W-A-I. And for more information about Bruce and his work, please visit bruceparry.com. I'm Dan McTiernan. I'm a transpersonal psychology coach and an embodied meditation teacher. And together with my wife, Johanna, we run Earthbound, a coaching organization working at the fertile edge between transpersonal psychology, embodiment, and permaculture. To find out more, please visit our website at www.earthbound.fi.